0: Hey friends, welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Each episode, I sit down with a guest to discuss their life journey and how the grace of God has impacted them along the way. After listening to today's episode, I hope you are encouraged that God can use you right now in the midst of your day-to-day life. Yes, it requires daily surrender and trust, but we must remember His grace is enough. Before introducing this week's guest, I do want to let my listeners know this episode may be triggering to those who have experienced the loss of an infant. With that said, it may also offer great hope and encouragement as our guest shares about God's goodness even when we don't feel it. Today's episode with Jonathan Gibson is dedicated to my friend Andy and her son Riker James, who was stillborn October 10th, 2019. Jonathan joins me on the show today to talk about his children's book, The Moon is Always Round. We chat about the loss of his daughter, Layla, the questions his son asked about his sister, how that led to the writing of The Moon is Always Round and the goodness of God. Listen to what Johnny has to say about how the moon has become a powerful image for his family in the midst of grief.
1: The moon has become so precious to us as a family that analogy. So above Ben's bed is a picture of the moon, and it says with four, five words underneath: "The moon is always round." That's it's just been a powerful image for us in the midst of grief. And you know we it's you know you look out at the moon on a night and you see half of it and you you think no I know the moon is round I can't see it but I know it's round. Often Jackie and I would pray, Lord, we know you are good. We know you're always good, but please help our unbelief, because right now in the midst of this uh, grief or this infertility, it doesn't feel like you're good.
0: After listening to today's conversation, I hope you walk away reminded and encouraged that God is always good. If you or a person in your life need that reminder regularly, I do recommend purchasing Johnny's book, The Moon is Always Round. Good evening, Johnny. Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast.
1: Well, thanks for having me on the show, Amber.
0: Will you go ahead as we get started and just introduce our listeners to you and your family and tell everyone a little bit about what you do? Uh,
1: my name's uh, Johnny. I'm married to Jackie. Uh, we have four children, uh, Benjamin, Layla, Zachary, and then a little child on the way due in January, Lord willing. Uh, I'm a professor of Old Testament and Hebrew at Westminster Theological Seminary. And uh, as you, you can hear from my accent, I'm not from around here. <laughs> uh, I like to tell people I'm from Texas, but people- <laughs> uh, I'm from Belfast, Northern Ireland originally.
0: Oh. But I've
1: been living in exile for a number of years. I uh, We came to the States three years ago from Cambridge, England, where I was a Presbyterian minister there.
0: Now, were you... The lead pastor there, or did you what What did you do at the church there?
1: Uh, I was the associate minister there for over two years, and then sort of stepped into the senior role just when the senior minister retired, just uh, filling the gap until I came here to the states.
0: Yes. So, what brought you to the states?
1: Uh, Well, just a a providential opening, really, of a job Mm -hmm. in Old Testament studies. I just completed a PhD in Old Testament at Cambridge University uh, a few years before, and one of the professors happened to uh, email me out of the blue and tell me there was a job but at first I said no and then he sort of kept pressing and I still said no and he kept pressing so I decided to apply and here we are three years later.
0: I know and the question is because you're in Philadelphia then right? Yeah. So um, you know how do you like Philadelphia? That's the question.
1: We really like it. Uh, we enjoy it. Uh, I like the four distinct seasons. Here in the States, I really like that. In the UK, we would get snow some winters. You know, you get a touch of snow, but you don't really get the big dump of snow that you get here, which we really like. And uh, apart from the, the number of leaves I have to uh, rake up every fall, apart Amen. from that, <laughs> seasons.
0: <laughs> Same. I, we were driving today, and I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina, and so it's really the height of our season here. And it's so uh gorgeous to the point where I find myself driving around just to look at them. But I know in about two weeks, we're going to be spending every waking moment outside getting the leaves off the lawn.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. get the leaf blower going and the rake out. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Oh, yes. Well, tell everyone a little bit about how you came to know Jesus and share a little bit about your faith journey.
1: Uh, So I was brought up as a missionary kid in East Africa. Wow, my parents were missionaries with MAF Mission Aviation Fellowship, yeah. uh, in Tanzania. So working amongst the Maasai Mara,
0: awesome. And,
1: uh, the the Maasai, sorry, in the Maasai Mara. So I was brought up in a Christian home. Heard the gospel from a young age. I remember distinctly having a conversation with my mum when I must have been about four or five, and asking what is a Christian. Mm. She explained to me it's someone who's put their trust in Jesus and. Uh, believes that he died and rose again for them. And uh, when you put your trust in Jesus, you become part of his family. And if you haven't, then you belong uh, to the devil and his family and to the kingdom of darkness. Mm. And I remember at the time just sensing that I I wasn't a Christian. I hadn't put my faith in Christ. And I felt at that time, even so young, feeling like I belonged to another kingdom. Uh, We came back from Uh, Africa to Northern Ireland when I was seven and went to a faithful gospel church that taught me the Bible and a a faithful Sunday school teacher, Mrs. Gallagher, who's now in glory. And uh, she faithfully taught me the gospel. And I believe at some point in that time in the church, I I put my faith in Christ and repented of my sin. Uh, You know, some people who come from outside Christian homes, when they're converted, it's a bit like, A hurricane comes into their life. You know, the spirit is like wind that blows where it pleases. But I think in Christian homes, it's still the same spirit. It's still the same wind that comes in and converts people, but it's more like a gentle breeze. And I think in my case, it was like a gentle breeze that blew into my life and regenerated me. Uh, the Spirit of God, you know, regenerated me and gave me faith in Christ. And then I was just raised in a good Christian family and a and a faithful Christian church.
0: It's really nice when you hear someone who's come to know Jesus at a young age and, you know, they just continued to walk with him. I feel like we all kind of face those trials and some of us rebel and some of us don't, but um, yeah, it's just awesome to hear everyone's different story.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, your book, the moon is always round came to my attention at the perfect time. And I'll share a little bit about that as we get started, but share with our listeners first, when did you start talking about that concept with your son and why?
1: Uh, so my oldest son, Ben, uh, when he was about two and a half, three, uh, we were living in Cambridge at the time and he would love to, uh, he would love to um, look out at the sky, the night sky and look at the moon. And he became fascinated with the moon, and each night we would look for the moon and see what shape it was. So I taught him the different shapes of the moon. But as we were doing it, I just thought of a little catechism to teach him. So I would ask him, what shape is the moon tonight, Ben? And he would look out at the moon and say, oh, it's a crescent moon or a half moon or a gibbous moon. And then I would say, what shape is the moon always, Ben? And he would say, the moon is always round And then I would say, what does that mean, Ben? And I taught him to say, it means God is always good. Mm. So it was really a childish, a childlike fascination with the moon that sort of led to that connection with the moon. And then I tried to connect it to some aspect of God's character.
0: Mm. Well, and eventually, this was your oldest son, your Mm -hmm. wife became pregnant with your second child. Walk us through a little bit of that journey and tell us a little bit about what happened.
1: Yeah, so uh, we took a little while to fall pregnant with Leila, our second uh, child, uh, our daughter, and uh, we were so excited to welcome her into the family. But very sadly, uh, nine months in her mother's womb, one night as we slept, she departed this life mysteriously and uh, went to be with Jesus. Uh, The next morning we woke, went to the hospital because Jackie had felt no movement, and we um, discovered that she had died in the womb. In many ways, our world fell apart uh, all of a sudden. Here we were with a a dead child, and she was stillborn four days later. Uh, We met her, and I brought Ben to the hospital to meet her because I wanted him to remember Mm -hmm. his little sister, even though she was dead. I still wanted him to have as much tangible memories of this as possible. And so that's really uh, the tragedy that came into our life as a sudden surprise that we didn't see coming and all of a sudden we entered a a world of pain and sorrow that we had only ever heard of but and imagined but here we were in the midst of it trying to navigate ourselves through it and the the book has really come out of that tragedy through a conversation I had with Ben in the car after he met Leila in hospital.
0: Yeah and What takes place in my life that I call God winks at various times is what happened with your book. A very dear friend of mine was 39 weeks pregnant. She's in our small group, and this just happened, gosh, has it even been four weeks ago? I don't think so. Mm. And she had had some challenges through pregnancy, but, you know, no expectation of losing the baby. And so we had been together on Sunday night and knew that she was going in to be induced on I want to say it was Wednesday or Thursday, mm-hmm. but it was also going in for like she had been getting an ultrasound every week. And when she went in the next day to get the ultrasound, there was no heartbeat at 39 weeks. And so I got that phone call and I knew that she was being induced in labor that night. At the same time, an email came across my desk speaking about your book and telling the story. Hmm. And when I saw that it was your, that, your daughter was 39 weeks stillborn. And I knew that Andy was going through that process at that moment. I just knew it was God looking down and just being like, I want you to know I'm here Mm -hmm. and I'm in control and everything's going to be okay. And I know sometimes people can say, oh, you know, a coincidence or whatever. But it wasn't. It was a very tangible moment for me because I was really, really – I mean, I was frustrated with the Lord. Like, why? Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 hard to face grief and suffering and not be frustrated. Yeah. yeah. But I was able to give her your book a couple of weeks ago. And, um, I mean, I just knew it was the conversation that I needed to have with you because I do think it's crucial to help your children work through it because she has three older children. Wow. And just, wor- you know, deciding, do I take them to the funeral home? Do I introduce them to Riker? What do we do? Mm-hmm. And so just really, really excited, you know, to talk a little bit more about that conversation that you had with your son in the backseat after he met Lila. What was that conversation?
1: Yeah, so uh, Layla was born 10.25 a.m. on the 17th of March 2016, St. Patrick's Day, but we now call it St. Leila's Day. Oh. And ben, ben came, he was at nursery. He came to the hospital afterwards with a friend who brought him. And he came in and he met Layla, and uh, he held her. We had about four hours together as a family. Uh, and then I drove him home before returning to the hospital to spend time with Jackie and Layla. And in the car on the way home, we were driving in silence and he just said, Daddy, will mummy ever grow a baby that wakes up? Mm. Obviously, the thing that had struck him was Layla just never opened her eyes, never made a sound. And I said, Ben, I don't know, but let's pray that she does. And uh, he said, why isn't Leila coming home with us? And I said, because she's gone to be with Jesus. And he said, why has she gone to be with Jesus? I said... Because Jesus called her name and mm-hmm. she went to him. And we often relate that to the passage in Mark's gospel where Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Mm-hmm. Do not stop them for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he said, after she's been with Jesus for a day in heaven, will she come to us? Mm-hmm. And I said, no, Ben, when you're with Jesus, you don't want to go anywhere else. And he <laughs> said, um, Why, why is that? And I said, well, because he's such a wonderful person. And then he said, does Layla not like us? I said, no, Layla does like us. She just likes Jesus more. And then he said, but why isn't she coming home? He was clearly just three and a half years old, grapple with this. And I said, Ben, I, I, to be honest, I don't actually know why she's not coming home. And then I said, but Ben, do you remember the the catechism I've taught you about the moon. And he said, yes. I said, well, Ben, tonight, I think, you know, we really won't be able to see the moon at all. Mm. But uh, we need to remember that the moon is always round. And it's so sad that Leila's not coming home with us. But we need to remember that God is always good, even when you can't see all of it, just like the moon is always round, even when you can't see all of it. Mm. And so, At night, I went home, I put him to bed, left him with a friend. And actually, as I was leaving the house, I thought, I wonder, is there a moon tonight? And I looked up and there was a half moon. Mm. And I thought, that's exactly how I feel and Jackie feels right now. We, we, you know, we saw the goodness of of God in giving us a second child. We got to meet her. We got to see her, even though she was dead. We got to see all her beautiful features. Um, We got to name her. And so there there were many graces from God's goodness, but the half of the moon was missing that night. And that's really what we felt was this mysterious darkness had come over. And uh, I just needed to be reminded that I can't see the whole of that moon, but I need to remember it's always round and can't see the whole of God's goodness in this tragedy, but I need to remember that God is always good. Mm. So that that's how the story, the book has come about, basically inspired by my son's conversation in the back of the car. And I was so struck by it within the next few days, I wrote that down on my phone. I thought, I don't ever want to forget those that. questions he asked me because they were quite profound. And a bit like you said, Amber, you know, that your friend was trying to grapple with, does she take her kids to the funeral? Mm-hmm. Does she bring them to meet the, the little child? And What was his name?
0: Riker. Riker. His name is Riker. Mm -hmm. Riker.
1: Lovely name. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, to bring her children to see Riker or not. And all of these things are things you grapple with. And kids grapple with them as well, you know. Mm -hmm. And we tend to lock our our kids away from suffering and death because we think, you know, you need to be an adult to deal with that. But Ben felt it deeply and he wanted answers to his questions. And so that's partly what inspired the writing of this book was my son wanted some answers. And I, I, as a Christian father, I felt I needed to give them to him. So.
0: Well, and I think oftentimes when we allow the space for kids to ask questions, their honesty is really just them asking the same questions we're asking.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And sometimes breaking it down in a simpler term for children really helps us.
1: Yes, yeah, well, very much so. I mean, there was one night uh, I was, Ben asked, is God ever going to give me another brother or sister or to give me a brother or sister? And I said, well, Ben, he has given you one. He's given you a sister, Layla. She's in heaven. And he said, I know, but will I ever get to play with a brother or sister? And I said, well, Ben, why don't you pray? You know, we were praying that God would give us another child. We we, we had years of infertility after Leila's death. He said, but why would I pray for God to give us another child if God's going to take them again from us? Gosh. Gosh. And I thought, wow, what a, you know, he really connects the sovereignty of God here with Leila's departure. Mm-hmm. And he's thinking, that's the only God I know at this stage is a God who gives and takes. You know, yeah. and I just needed to let him say that he—he he wasn't bitter or angry. He just was very sort of methodically, uh, it was very matter of factly. Sorry, just stating the case. Mm-hmm. I mean, recently J- Jackie has miraculously fallen pregnant, and we're expecting in January. But one night Ben prayed um, at family worship, "Dear God, please don't let the baby die in Mummy's mm-hmm. room." Amen. You know, just a very simple prayer, but. Praise God. He, he gets it. Death is real. It happens. Yeah. But he knows God in his grace can can spare a child's life and um, bring them into this world. So, you know, his faith is very real to yeah. him through this tragedy.
0: Right. Well, and how old is Ben now?
1: He's uh, seven and a quarter, coming up to seven and a half. Yeah.
0: Wow. So that's the age of my middle one. Yeah. So my daughter is seven not seven and a half quite, but yeah, she, it, it's just so neat how kids too, we can watch them layer their faith yes. as they begin to understand a little bit more. And mm-hmm. so when he did, because you guys, your third child is a boy as well. Did I, is that what you said yeah. early on?
1: Yes. We've just adopted him a week ago. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Yeah. From North Carolina. Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh
0: my goodness. So What's his response now? What has been like now? Is he like, uh oh, there's there's a sibling encroaching on my freedom yeah. now?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he's very happy because, as I said, we struggled with infertility for years yeah. and uh, lost Layla, you know, at the eleventh hour. Then had more infertility, Ugh. and uh, so he he's just only known himself in the home, and so he's so happy to have uh, Zachary is the little boy we've named and um he's absolutely delighted and then he's he can't can't believe mommy's pregnant again so you know (laughs) he's happy now but maybe ask him in six months time we'll be very happy when When the
0: newness is roaring off
1: (laughs) yeah when both of them are demanding our attention and he's not getting any
0: well now and so how old is zachary did you all adopt him as an infant or as a little boy
1: yeah an infant he was four days old
0: okay
1: we drove to fayetteville Oh,
0: not too far from me.
1: Yeah. And uh, we've had him nine and a half months, 10 months next Saturday night.
0: Wow. That's incredible. And so then you're expecting again, what's the due date for uh,
1: mid January? So Zachary was born 26th of January. And uh, Lord willing, this little boy or girl will be born mid January. And uh, so it's, as they say, it's like Irish twins. I.
0: Yes, and I'm sitting here thinking it's not only Ben that's going to um, undergo quite the transition, it's mommy and daddy as well. Yeah, very much so. But a lot of joy, I know. It's joy and exhaustion. That's kind of how I put it, joy and exhaustion. Well, why is it that you feel that it was so important to take those words and put them in book form for a child?
1: Uh, well, mainly because Ben had so many questions for me in the back of the car that night after he'd met Layla in the hospital. So I I felt, uh, let me write something for him that he'll have for a long time. Uh, I've written a couple of other books. Um, they're more academic ones that he'll never read. And uh, I thought it'd be nice to have one for him and dedicate it to him. But the inspiration really came from that conversation. But then. The moon has become so precious to us as a family, that analogy. So above Ben's bed is a picture of the moon. Mm. And it says with four five words underneath, the moon is always round. That's it's just been a powerful image for us in the midst of grief. And, you know, we it's as I said, it's you know, you look out at the moon on a night and you see half of it and you, you think, no, I know the moon is round. I can't see it, but I know it's round. Often Jackie and I would pray. Lord, we know you are good. We know you're always good, but please help our unbelief. Mm-hmm. Because right now in the midst of this uh, grief or this infertility, it doesn't feel like you're good. Yeah. And so I, I wanted, it, it's been a powerful analogy in our lives. And I've used it with in a sermon on Job. And I've used it in counseling when I was a minister yeah. with a few friends, a, a dear friend who's who's got uh, leukemia. Uh, and I've just found it a very, very powerful image. And when we've told people about the story of the moon connected to Layla, they often will say we've never forgotten that the moon is always round and God is always good. So I just I just found it a very powerful analogy. And I thought that this might be helpful for others. The book is a kids' book, but as you know, you know Amber, having read it, I, I think it's applicable for any Christian going through anything. You know. Even your friend who lost yep. Riker, you know it 's a truth that she needs to hear, not just her children that 's right, so I, I thought it it might be helpful for a wider audience
0: well, in the back of the book, there are just several activities you can work through with your family that are really helpful. Can you share a few of those with us
1: yeah so i do i 've got two lessons for children at the back of the book. one is to do with the moon. I get them to look back through the book and find how many shapes the moon appears in and then from that i get parents to encourage their children to see the connection between uh, the moon being always round even when you can't see all of it and god being always good even when our circumstances maybe don't show that the second activity is the illustrator joe hawkes uh, very cleverly and subtly put 10 crosses in the illustrations throughout the book um, some pages don't have any but some have more than one right. and uh, they're they're quite subtle but when you go back and you you look for them you see them actually so clearly the second time and what i wanted to do there was you know it's a bit of a fun exercise for children trying to find the 10 crosses but then i wanted to connect god's goodness to jesus yes. mm-hmm. i didn't just want this to be a book about a general god who's undefined but i wanted people to see that the goodness of god is ultimately revealed in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus. So I go to Good Friday and I speak about the darkness at 12 noon on Good Friday when the sun was blanked out. There was no stars twinkling in the sky. There wasn't even a sliver of the moon to give Jesus any light. And yet in the darkness, when he was forsaken by God, God was still good and he was bringing forgiveness for people who put their trust in Christ out of that darkness. Uh, So even in the darkness, God was good. And that's why we call it Good Friday. So that's the second lesson that I, I, I want children to take away from the book.
0: Yeah. And it's definitely a book that I will gift over and over again, because I mean, the reality is we have tons of people in our life who face loss. And even if they're not facing loss, it is a question that gets asked often. Is God really good? And so to be able to sometimes, like I said, break it down in something a little bit more simple to give you something to grasp onto is a lot of times like that first step mm. for someone to take to continue to build on the goodness of God.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a it's a little a beginning point for children and, and even adults to just uh, have some kind of illustration that helps them. I, I heard a story just recently. Uh, of someone who is seeking a church in Inverness in Scotland, they—they're—I don't think they're a Christian. They've gone, gone along to a sort of investigate Christianity course, and um, the topic was on suffering. And the minister illustrated it with the book, *The Moon Is Always Round*, and the illustration. And the lady came back the next month with the book in her hand, and she said, "I've read it. I love this book." And she's starting to come to church wow. and wants to come back. And so I see my daughter's ministry. Yes. Um, her funeral, the minister called her Layla the Evangelist. Mm. He said she's pointed us all to another world. She's pointed us all to God. Wow. He said Layla the Evangelist. And everyone who was at the funeral that day who writes to us on the anniversary of her death or stillbirth They'll often say, we've never forgotten Layla the Evangelist. Wow. That's what I sort of like to think of this book. It's dedicated to my son, but it's my daughter who, though being dead, yet speaks. Yeah. And she has a powerful voice to say to people, God is good. God is always good, even when you can't see it.
0: Wow. Well, I'm just so grateful for you taking a personal story And putting it out there for the rest of us. And so, and I appreciate you coming just to tell a little, a few more details of why you've written it. And so, we typically close out the show with a couple of questions. And the first one will likely, or maybe you'll have a different answer, be the infertility journey or the Mm. loss of your daughter. But we all do experience the grace of God every day. But there are seasons in our life where clinging to the grace of God is really. The only thing that gets us through. Is there something that you could share with us when you really felt like you were just clinging to the grace of God? I mean, that's what this whole conversation has been about. But
1: Yeah. Um, when we went through this tragedy, we had very dear friends in uh, another part of England who themselves had experienced the stillbirth of their son, some years earlier, and when when this happened, I reached out to the to the father and Jackie spoke to the mother, and uh, they were very helpful. But the mother sent us a song that her brother had written based on Deuteronomy thirty two, mm. and he sung it on a piano, recorded it, and she sent it to us. Uh, the a few days after we after Layla died, it was called "Underneath Are the Everlasting Arms," mm. and uh, it's that beautiful part in Deuteronomy 32 where God says Moses says to Israel and underneath are the everlasting arms Mm -hmm. and our world the bottom of our world fell you know fell away and we were in free fall Mm -hmm. and it was that truth that really helped us that though we just have never felt pain like this never gone into a dark valley like this underneath are the everlasting arms so it wasn't so much a case of us holding on to god because at times we couldn't it was more a case he was holding on to us the whole time underneath were the everlasting arms and so i I think we can tend to look inward in suffering and think right i need to find some faith here or and there's a place to say i believe help my unbelief but there's another place to say you you will hold me fast you know that lovely modern him, Christ, He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. Yeah. And uh, that, that's the issue, isn't it? It's not so much us holding to Him, but Him holding, holding us.
0: To us. Yeah. And holding us up and hiding us under the shadow of His wing. That's the one yeah. that I often cling to. The other question is, if you had the opportunity to sit down with your great-grandchildren and offer them some wisdom, what is something you would like to share with them? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I've never thought, (laughs) never thought that far ahead. I think what I would say to them is God picks us up where we are, not where we ought to be. And uh, God is always ready to forgive, always ready to be merciful. He is slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, uh, showing kindness and goodness and grace to a thousand generations. Mm. So just know that God... Wherever you go in life, whatever twists and turns life takes, even if you wander off the path, remember that uh, God picks you up where you are, not where you ought to be.
0: Well, thanks so much, Johnny, for taking the time to be with me here tonight.
1: Well, thank you, Amber. It's been lovely to talk. I love talking about my daughter, Layla. So thank you for the opportunity.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode. Resources, links, and quotes from today's conversation can be found at graceenoughpodcast.com under the show notes tab. If you are enjoying the show, I would like to ask you a few favors. Number one, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. You can head over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. Clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure you never miss a new episode of the podcast. Number two, if you enjoy the show, Would you take a moment to leave a review on iTunes? Those reviews help me to know how the show is impacting you. And number three, the best way to grow is for people like you to share it with your friends. Will you share your favorite Grace Enough podcast episode via text, email, or social media? Again, I'm so grateful for each one of you who listen week in and week out. Thank Thank you for listening listening to the Grace Enough podcast. Tune in next time.